Before we begin, just a warning, this podcast discusses child abuse. I'm Willow. I'm the CEO of Safeguarding Children here in New Zealand, and I'm passionate about preventing child abuse and ensuring that we do all we can to get children the help they need early. I believe that child abuse is preventable, not inevitable. I'm particularly interested in creating child-safe organisations. I have over 35 years' experience working with children, families and the very people in positions of trust who work and volunteer in roles of children. I'm going to be sharing my child safeguarding insights with you and introduce you to some of the incredible people I meet in my role who work tirelessly to protect and advocate for our most vulnerable citizens. I wish I didn't need to be talking about preventing child abuse. I wish that all children were safe, but sadly, that's not the case. So before you think this isn't the podcast for me, remember, we're all stakeholders. We were all children once and we've all experienced childhood. Corny as it sounds, children are our future. All of us as adults will be parents or have friends or family who are children. Some of you will be frontline workers who want to learn how to keep other people's children safe. So join me on each episode because knowledge is powerful and I know that together we will make a difference. Kia ora, I'm Willow Duffy. I am the CEO of Safeguarding Children and um, this is our amazing podcast called Together and um, thank you for joining us today. I just want to give you a bit of background about myself and about Safeguarding Children so you gain an insight into um, our co-popper which is our history and where we came from and how we um, were created so um, yeah let's have a look at that route. So my name is Willow, I am actually um, a registered nurse by profession, you'll hear from my accent, I'm from the UK originally, I've lived in New Zealand for 14 years, um, almost 14 years, I came over to New Zealand from um, England in 2009 with my two children and my husband. Um, I'm actually a um, nurse by profession, I'm a nurse and also a midwife as well. I don't practice as a midwife in New Zealand and I've got a postgraduate qualification as a specialist community public health nurse practitioner um, and that was um, a qualification that allowed me to be a health visitor when I was working in the UK. So my um, background is really in health um, and um, I've got a real interest in prevention. So preventing um you know, disease and illness from occurring, um, preventing um, complications in pregnancy, for example, or ensuring that children um, are safe, making sure women and children are safe during the pregnancy. So I've got a really um, passion for prevention. And that passion for prevention um, led me um, to develop a real interest into um, preventing child abuse and neglect. So I came to New Zealand in um, 2009 and when I first arrived, um, I didn't think that I would necessarily having to be um, using my skills that I'd learned as a health visitor around keeping children safe. But it became very obvious through my work as a nurse in the community um, in New Zealand that there was a real 
lack of um, understanding and insight into what constitutes child abuse and neglect from the people that were working with children and families. And as I um, started to learn more about um, New Zealand, I realised that um, New Zealand has really very high rates of child abuse and neglect. So that interested me. It really interested in me, um, you know, what was different about New Zealand to other countries and um, and how I could maybe contribute to um, the agenda of keeping children safe, if there was any ways that I could use my knowledge and skills that I'd brought with me over from um, England to um, benefit the um, children and families in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So the starting point of that was um, really working with um, families and children and young people um, and realising that there were quite often many missed opportunities. And I know that in many cases where children have been seriously harmed or whether they've been um, um, killed as a result of abuse and neglect, that there are many missed opportunities. And many times in which we look back at those cases and think, why didn't somebody do something about it? So that really interested me, why um, people who are in um, positions where they could potentially do something about it, why they they didn't do something about it. And retrospect is an amazing thing. And it's always easy to criticise and judge and analyse in retrospect. But I'm really interested in what goes through people's thoughts and minds at that moment when they're faced with a situation where they do have concerns about a child or young person and what actually um, are the barriers to preventing them from actually taking action. So I was interested in what um, impacted on members of the public and um, family and whanau, what actually prevented them from taking action, but a particular interest in what prevented people that are in a position of trust in positions where they worked or volunteered with children and um, in organisations and in roles where members of the public would expect them that to know what to do and know how to recognise and respond to child abuse and neglect. But also I wanted to make sure that we had, um, you know, a focus on prevention, because for me, if we can prevent abuse and intervene early, that is always going to be the best outcome for the child and always the best outcome for the family as well. So. I was working as a nurse at this point. I'd worked for Plunkett, which is an, an equivalent role of being a health visitor. And also I started working as sexual health and family planning clinic. So um, my specialist area is working across the whole age spectrum of childhood from preconception right through to um, adulthood. And that gave me a, a great insight into the challenges that children face and um, some of the barriers and enablers um, to actually help them get um, the um, help that they need um, and those situations that actually um, contribute to the abuse and neglect continuing or from happening in the first place. So um, I had um, colleagues of mine that were also interested in this aspect as well. So there was myself working as a nurse and uh, two other nurses um, with a background in um, working with children and families um, and also a detective from the child protection team in Nelson. We all worked with each other um, in other capacities and we 
um, got together and said, look, there, we know that there is a real need for training around child protection. So let's just run some training as a one-off um, and see what the response is from, from that. So that was um, in our own time after work. So um, we all worked our days as nurses and as a detective and we decided to run some training in Nelson. So Nelson is at the top of the South Island in New Zealand and um, we did it in our own time, not far from where I'm recording this podcast now. And we expected there to be maybe been 15 or 20 people that would turn up for that training. And it was absolutely unbelievable. It ended up being standing room only in um, The Honest Lawyer in Monaco, um, in, a, in a room that um, accommodated about 60 people. It was 150 people and it was standing room only. And most of these people were frontline professionals. And the information that we were sharing with these people wasn't rocket science. It was um, it was basic information of what constitutes child abuse and neglect. So how to recognise and how to respond to it. And um, it was just unbelievable because what became very clear from that initial session that we did, which was supposed to be a one-off session, was that there was just an absolute desperate need for training, but also an absolute desire from these people who are working with children to actually do better and um, to um, ensure that they're able to provide the best service to children. So we couldn't just leave it there as that one-off training. We ran the training again, and once again, it was just unbelievable the amount of people that came to the training and most of them were professionals they were people who members of the public would have expected them to have had this training and um, we realized then that we couldn't stop doing it that the need was so high we all came from um, caring professions um, and so it was very hard um, for us um, as members of the police force and also as nurses to actually um, step back and stop doing it when the need was so high it just you know ran through the core of us that we had to continue so we continued doing that in our own time after work we traveled around the region we did multiple trainings within Nelson and then the call came for training further afield so we'd get messages with people saying you know everybody needs to know this training this is a key component of what we should be doing in our professional development and there was um, a clear indication that um, that um, the government were not in a position to actually provide that training. So even though the need was high, um, the decision makers within the country were not actually providing that training. So it was really difficult to stop doing it when you saw the high need, but also when you heard the stories of the difference that it made. So not just within um, situations where people were able to um, prevent abuse, but also when there was you know, we heard stories come back very quickly where people had actually um, gone to the police as a result of attending our training and we reported um, concerning adults that were either working or volunteering with children. And um, that resulted in um, people being charged and then convicted of offences against children. Some of them were um, sexual abuse of, of children. And these were people who had either been working or volunteering in positions of trust. So the impact was huge and it was impossible for us to actually stop doing what we were doing. 
Um, unfortunately for us, we'd um, started um, with a, a doing this work within a voluntary model, really. We're doing this um, work in our own time after work, and it became very obvious very quickly that the capacity to do that was really, really minimal because... Um, because of the jobs that we're actually doing and also who was going to fund it because people um, were desperate for the training but all of these organisations didn't have any funding to be able to send their staff and volunteers. So we looked at a different model and that was um, looking at a way in which we could attract philanthropic funding to allow um, at least one or two of us to be able to do some of this work in our um, working hours rather than um, doing it after work um, in, our, in our free time. And from there, we moved from um, having some philanthropic funding um, through to creating a, a registered charity. In fact, we'd already um, started to be a registered charity in 2011. Um, and in around 2014, um, I stepped up and said that I would be willing to take on the role as, as the person that would be um, the lead person that would deliver the training and develop the training. So that's what we did. Also, we looked at um, some of the barriers to people accessing the training. So we learned very quickly that cost was a barrier, but also logistics to get to the training. So because we didn't have any money to be able to really fund what we were doing, I looked at solutions to that problem. And one of the solutions was to go down the route of e-learning. So we initially created the e-learning course for people in our region because we, um, anybody knows New Zealand, it's um, not necessarily an easy country to um, get from A to B from. So it looks as though um, it's a small distance, but with the windy roads and the um, geography of New Zealand, it can make it very, very difficult for people to travel distances to be able to get to um, training. So e-learning and online learning was one of the ways that we could get to the people that needed the training um, in a way that was cost effective and also enable them to be able to access it because we wanted to remove that barrier of logistics. So the e-learning was developed. We um, worked with a web developer and she created a very basic e-learning course that really was for people in the Nelson Tasman region. And we then changed web developers, our web developer um, left the country and went back overseas and we changed web developers. And at that point, we realised the expanse of people around the country that were actually accessing the e-learning course. It was just unbelievable. It wasn't just used um, in our region. It was used all over the country, thousands and thousands of people. So then we realised that, you know, we were really meeting a need and we needed to continue what we were doing. And also our very basic e-learning course and the survey that we had was crashing due to the volume of use. So we've been very lucky. We've been um, funded by some um, great philanthropic organisations. And um, we also have a particular private philanthropic um, funder that um, we can go to with ideas that will allow us to uh, meet the need and almost increase our capacity to uh, meet the needs of the people that we serve. 
So we um, were able to get funding from them to develop a more sophisticated e-learning platform. And we're now on our third e-learning platform. Um, And the one that we've got now is incredibly sophisticated. It means that we are able to have hundreds and thousands of um, users online at once. So, you know, we've gone from something that was very basic to something that was very, very sophisticated. So we've also gone from volunteers working in our own time to um, having one person that was dedicated to the role. And now in 2023, I've got a whole team of people that work um, with me and are my colleagues at Safeguarding Children. So some of them are subject matter experts. So some of our team members have expertise within different aspects of um, child protection and child safeguarding. So I've got somebody that specialises in health. I've got a background specialising in health as well. We've got um, other subject matter experts and consultants that work with us who are um, specialists in the social services sector, in the education sector. So and and also um, more recently in the faith sector. So we have um, subject matter experts that are actually part of our team they're employed they're part of our safeguarding file now and they develop all the content for our e-learning courses um, and all of our face-to-face training and all the webinars that we run as well and then we have a team of people that work behind the scenes that we could not do without that make all the magic happen and they are just the most incredibly talented um, group of people that are um, admin assistants and people that work in our accounts department that do all our bookings and event coordination and then we also have incredible organizations within our community that volunteer their 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 talents and their time to do things like this which is to allow us to make a a, a podcast um so we can share with um many more people about what we do and with the the hope and the intent that children are safer because of um, people and um, hearing about what we do and ways in which we can protect children. So to date, um, safeguarding children have trained um, over 50,000 members, mainly of the children's workforce, um, in how to um, prevent, recognise and respond to child abuse and neglect. So it's been a really, really interesting journey for me. It's something that's gone from an idea over a cup of coffee um, through tenacity, sheer determination and and goodwill and passion and friendship and love and um, real respect for each other that we have created something that I am so incredibly proud of. If somebody had have told me back in that day when we first had that first meeting over a cup of coffee that the idea that we had would have turned into something that Safeguarding Children New Zealand is now, I would never have believed it. It was just absolutely incredible. And when I look at the organisations that we work with and the um, the respect that we have um, in relation to being a you know a really um, one of the great authorities around keeping children safe and not just in home within the community but also creating child safe organizations so we work in two areas one of the areas that we work in is child protection so it's helping people recognize and respond to child abuse and neglect but also a real strong message around prevention and that applies to the places where children go as well so any organizations that provide services for children should be doing all they can to actually protect children from abuse and neglect because as parents and carers 
when we take our children to school or to a sport or to a volunteer group, we trust that the organisations have everything in place to make sure that our children are safe when they're in those places. Um, it's our rights as parents, it's the rights of, of children. And if we um, can demand more from organisations and really encourage them to make child safe spaces for our children to be then our children will be safer as well because we all have a vested interest in childhood we've all been children once all of us will be able to think back at times when we felt vulnerable as children where we were around people that maybe didn't make us feel safe or where we were involved in activities where we weren't very sure what was going on or there was situations where we didn't feel comfortable or we didn't like it um, so we all know what that's like we're all stakeholders so we're all stakeholders because we've all been children and all of us will be parents or carers or aunties and uncles and friends of children so we all have a vested interest in ensuring that children are safe and free from child abuse and neglect. And I just want to finish really just to say that, you know, um, we all have a role to play in protecting children. We all have a responsibility. Um, it isn't just the responsibility of statutory agencies like Oranga Tamariki and the police. It's important to all of us. So it doesn't matter whether you're a family member, whether you are a neighbour, whether you are somebody that works in a professional capacity. Do you know, childhood is precious. It's absolutely precious. And we need to do all that we can to protect children childhood and really preserve the wonder of childhood because um you know these these children are the people that are going to lead and be part of our economy going forward they're they're the people and the, the children that are going to look after our nation going forward and we need to really really look after them so that they can reach their full potential so they're not um, traumatized by abuse and neglect that they've experienced and so that people have actually reached out and they've helped them and they've advocated for their rights and they've done all they can to protect them in the home in the community and amongst our society as a whole so it's great that you're joining us on this podcast i will have lots of interesting people to talk to about ways in which we can prevent abuse how we can recognize it and even things like the rights of children and how that um, impacts on everyday activities that we do um, and um, the how it impacts on the lives of children, the lives of adults who work or volunteer or are parents and carers with children as well. So thank you for joining me. Off we go and um, I hope you enjoy it.